God is all there is. How do you apply spiritual principle in the real world? What are your daily spiritual practices? These are the kinds of questions we'll talk about in this show. Your hosts, Leslie and Tracy, will share their experiences, but also want to learn from your insights, your questions, and your suggestions. So, don't just listen in. Call us with your comments. Hi there. Welcome to Say Yes to Spirit. I'm Tracy. I'm Leslie. And we don't know what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Every week we have a theme, but we can't decide. Too many choices. We have way too many choices. We could talk about choices. Nah. <laughs> so last week we talked about power. Mm. This week we're going to talk about something, but uh, and we'll decide in a minute. But you know, if this is your first time listening to us, it's just a good idea to tell you that um, we come together and and talk about what does it mean to say yes to spirit and how does our life unfold when we say yes to spirit. And uh, every week we have a theme. We'll have today's theme in a minute. Uh, Every week we have a theme, and sometimes those are very spiritually, directly spiritually connected, and sometimes they're not. Um, But we find that every week by the end of an hour, we are reminded that everything really is spiritually connected. We just sometimes have to look for the connection. It is an interesting idea that the thought that the um the 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 point of having a theme or not having a theme allows us to focus in on how saying yes to spirit affects everything and how whether I'm saying yes to spirit or not to spirit is is enacting whether I'm aware of it or not. So for me it's bringing it back to my awareness. Yeah, because spirit never goes anywhere. Spirit right. is always present, all-powerful, all-knowing, all always in every place and situation. But we forget. Yeah, my, my I awareness. Forget, I forget it. to say yes. I forget that, oh, wait, I'm operating in spirit here. I turn my back unintentionally and unconsciously mm-hmm. from the guidance and the direction that spirit is like very patiently and consistently saying, uh, here, it's really easy, and I make it hard because I'm not aware. So I say we change the name of the show to Remember Say Yes to Spirit. <laughs> there you go. Because <laughs> that's really, that's the key is the remembering. Once I remember the saying yes to spirit is pretty easy, but it's the remembering that seems to come and go for me. Yeah, that would be true for me as well, and probably everyone who's listening. So, our theme today is going to be stuff. Stuff. So, yeah, stuff like... C-U-F-S, I was say it's a four-letter word, but it's a five-letter word. Oh, stuff. yeah, stuff. stuff. Like, how much stuff do you have in your house, or your car, or your Mind. Life? Or in your mind. mind. Wow. wow. How much stuff do you have? Do you need it? Why do you need it? What does mm. it mean to you? Mm. Anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, Leslie is going to do what she loves to do, which is connect the dots between our most recent show and today's show. And our theme in our most recent show was power. Power. I think. And that's a fabulous connect the dots because I give power to my stuff. And if I give more power to my stuff, then I am going further away from spirit. And, you know, I immediately said stuff in my head, and that is my sort of chronic Chronic is the thing that kind of stays with you. It doesn't necessarily kill you, but it's always there with you. Is that the definition of chronic disease? I think that's the definition of chronic disease. Yes, it's just always there with you. It doesn't necessarily kill you. And I think the stuff in my head is chronic over the course of my life, and I give power to it. And it's me giving the power to it that gives it life and gives it 
a stronghold, if I chose to not give it power, then it wouldn't have that, the stuff in my head wouldn't hold the, wouldn't hold the meaning that it has. So I think that's a very good connect the dots. I agree. And so we will take a break, and then we will come back and talk about my stuff, your stuff, everybody's <laughs> stuff. Today for show number 148. Are you, we going to have cake for 150? We need cake. We're going to do something very special for 150. So, can anyway, we talk about cake for 150? But today we're going to do show <laughs> number 148, which is about my stuff, your stuff, Leslie's stuff. And you know, it's interesting because you thought of external stuff, and I immediately thought of internal stuff. And that's kind of interesting. It's very interesting. I'll just go with that as my word, interesting. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, interesting is a better word than sick. <laughs> Thank interesting you. Interesting is a better word than weird. Mm-hmm. Interesting is a better word. I mean, we have no judgment about it. Yes. It's just an observation. Yes, exactly. And, you know, what, what, what made this topic come to mind for me actually today was that a few days ago, I got an email from someone I've known for 40 years. Wow. <laughs> I just realized that in this moment. Someone I've known for 40 years, and I got an email from her saying that she was going to move from the city she's lived in for at least 20 or 25 years to the city where I live. Wow. And that she's going to do this, like, in the next couple of months. Like, wow. Like, you know, fast. <laughs> and uh, and I thought about if I were to move across country, mm. I, you know, I just kind of looked mentally in my mind, looked around my house and thought, Wow. Oh, I've got way too much stuff to move. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I, even though I want, actually I realize I want to move from the house that I'm in oh. to another location, probably in the same city, it's still moving all the stuff, right? Yeah. yeah. And in the last two years I've had to move all the stuff in my house for, for painting, for doing the floors, all of that. But there's something about moving it, like moving it outside of the house to another house or across the country. It's like, I've got way too much stuff. In a strange way, when you look at moving it, it's when you fully become aware of it, I guess. For me, that is very true. Yeah. When we're living in it, it's just sort of what it is. But then suddenly the idea of moving it, boy, then it takes a life. Yeah, and it becomes. And living in it, I don't. I I notice it and I don't notice it. I mean, it it is the environment. Mm-hmm. It is the environment that has actually, in my case, been carefully crafted and created. Yes, to it's a be beautiful a environment. very um, enriching, grounding environment. 
But it's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff in the beautiful environment, yes. Yeah, so I so that's kind of why the topic came uh, uh, like what what do we do with all our stuff? You know, when I uh had uh, the car accident six months ago or whenever it was, you know, a few months ago and had had to take all my stuff out of the <laughs> car because the car was totaled. And it was interesting because I was like I have this. I have a little tiny car. I then at that time I had a little tiny car, and I have so much stuff in the car. And it's like, okay, I can. I knew why I needed all that stuff. I mean, I knew why it was in my car. But I thought, okay, with the next car, I'm just not gonna carry all this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. So that lasted for about two months, right? <laughs> all right. There's a comedian that does a whole bit on uh, mm-hmm. only in America do we have storage houses for extra stuff. Store, you know how you have all these store, they're not called storage store, units. Storage units, store, yeah, mm-hmm. storage units. Because not even do we have to have stuff in our house, but we have to have stuff that we're not even using or looking at or enjoying. We have it locked away somewhere that we're paying money to store the stuff. And that is a really fascinating concept in terms of, you know, I I can see it if I'm in a transitional space and I'm not being able to use my stuff and I want that stuff next year when I get a bigger space or something. But if I'm in a home and I suddenly need, like, stuff to store stuff, how does that work mentally, too? I think in terms of, you know, I, I, we just kind of incrementally get more and more and more stuff and we have to store it away, store it away. I was doing... Therapy with a client this morning, and you know, really, therapy is about uncovering stuff that we just stored away emotionally as a child, as a young adult, yeah. in dysfunctional relationships. We store all this away, and to fully be alive today, I've got to unpackage all the stuff I've stored up, and express it, it experience it, and then be done up, be rid of it. And it's really what an interesting idea to just have the stuff that I need in the moment and be um, stuff-free. Well, now, in the context of saying yes to spirit, mm-hmm. you know, so often with spiritual practice and with everything else, we're constantly telling ourselves and others to be in the moment, be in the right. present, be in this moment now. Breathe in, breathe out. There is nothing else. And you have everything you need in that moment. You're alive, you have breath, you have air, you have oxygen. You you don't need mm-hmm. anything else. And we constantly go back to the breath and the presence of this single perfect moment. And so, yeah, it's like we know that that is true, and yet we aspire higher, require more and more and more. And as we're, I'm wondering for me, my acquiring, and really, I am really all in my mind with the mind stuff. You know, as I'm acquiring, what is my, what is my motive? What is my, you know, what, what am I really doing by acquiring, by bringing in more stuff? What am I, am I, Trying to avoid looking at the stuff that I have by bringing in new shiny stuff that looks prettier than the stuff that I have, or am I thinking if I have more stuff, it'll make me happy, or I'll find you know something different in different stuff? What causes me to just <laughs> be at peace, as you're saying, in the moment now, and to sit with my stuff? I always used to say that my mental health was based on how well I could sit, in, you know, or anyone's mental health, you know, how well we could sit in, a, in just a dark space and just sit there and not have something in our hands or have something that we're doing or have something we're watching. And, of course, every time I do that, I fall asleep, so I'm not certain what that says about me. But, you know, the idea that we should just be able to sit and be at peace without it, without things rattling through my mind or, you know, having a need to be doing and so that idea of stuff seems like 
can be a very big detractor from just being. Um, and for me, that's, um, well, it is, it's a both and, because it is interesting that I can actually imagine without having tremors or the shakes or panic <laughs> attack, I actually can imagine being quite peaceful and happy in an environment that is very sparse or spare. Minimal is the big new word, right? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, when I think of my home, not this home, but just my home conceptually, I see me in an environment where I'm surrounded by books and art and and music and and so it it's you know it's like I see both now of course in the real world in my actual home I am surrounded by books and art and generally do you have, a storage have music unit, Tracy I do well I do oh. not that's like that's not a yes or no question it's not I do not have a storage unit uh-huh. outside of my home. Ah. However, a storage unit in your house? However, <laughs> yes. Ah. What happened was I did for a while after I moved into into where I live now because I did downsize some. I did have a storage unit for a couple of years while I tried to figure out you know, what I really wanted and what, and um, a lot of what was in the storage unit was, were were things stored related to my business because I work out Uh. of my home. However, a few years ago, I was like, why am I paying for a storage unit? And I took my third bedroom. Oh, that's cute. And made made it it, and brought all the stuff that was in the storage unit and made the third bedroom a storage room or a junk room. Yeah, or a work room where you keep your, yeah. No, it's a junk room or a storage (laughs) room. It's just, it's got boxes and things like that. And interestingly enough that we're having this conversation, about four months ago, three or four months ago, I actually started having this craving, this desire to return that to be a third bedroom, like a guest bedroom with Mm -hmm. a work area for me to do, you know, when I'm making prayer beads or, Mm -hmm. you know, like a a work area, but then it would also be available, set up so that it would be available as a guest bedroom. And... um, and so three or four months ago, I mean, you know, like that's only 16 weeks, 18 weeks. But this, for some reason, that started coming up. Mm-hmm. So my guess is over the next, you know, few months that I will actually, you know, just take a box at a time or, you know, a little bit at a time and start going through it and getting rid of it. So it must be time. Right. Because I wasn't, you know, m- motivated for any other reason. It just started coming up. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, okay, I want the bedroom back. And I wonder if that is, I know at some point, all stuff, all excess stuff will rise up and become noticed, whether it be mental stuff that we haven't dealt with. At some point, in some way, it's going to rise up. It's going to act out. It's going to get my attention to deal with it. And I would imagine that, you know, at some point, have you ever seen that show Hoarders? I have heard about the show Hoarders. I've never seen it. Until you see it, you cannot fully appreciate it until you see it. It's really, it's, 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 I can't even speak. It's, it's it's pretty extreme. Well, I've known a couple of people who actually are Hoarders who probably could be on this show, so I can imagine it. Yes, yes. I mean, I've been in a couple of, and I, I think my mental status can be that way. I don't have, <laughs> I haven't collected Yay. enough uh, eggshell cartons to be. But um, and I think my mother definitely has those tendencies. She has an entire upstairs that's the size of the entire downstairs. It's a big house where we grew up, and it's all full of stuff. Over seventy years, she's well, what sixty years she's lived in that house, and. Um, 
so I get the mentality of it, but it's really interesting to watch at some point that stuff must be dealt with. So I do think there's sort of some sort of, I don't know what it's called, you know, something divinely designed that, that the stuff can only stay stuff for so long before it becomes so destructive mentally, spiritually, physically that it that it has to be dealt with. And I think it's a matter of how do I deal with my stuff before my stuff deals with me would be my challenge. Well, now that makes seems to make the assumption that the stuff is the cover for That's a things that are bad or broken or harmful or hurting. hurting. And, and that just made me think, you know, I don't think that's always the case. I think sometimes it, it comes up, whether it's mental or physical, the stuff comes up to be dealt with because now it's time. I mean, you weren't ready before, mm-hmm. or it wasn't time yet. So, so yeah. I mean, I don't think it necessarily has to be bad. I, so there are a couple of examples that come to mind for me, and I'm, you know, my the example of me in the in the third bedroom. I'm pretty clear that it's coming up for me because. I've really, over the last 18 months, changing my business focus. And a lot, probably 35 to 50% of what's being stored in my storeroom are records and old, you know, file, client files and examples of workshops that I've done or materials that I use, have used in the past, training or in marketing my business. Well, I'm marketing differently, and I'm doing different things, and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this can go away now, whereas before it was more like, well, you need this because you send out these marketing packets, you know, three times a year. You know, you buy a case of folders, and then you keep them because you use them. Useful, yeah. You know, three times a year even though they take up a lot of space, that kind of stuff, at least for me. And I think in our mind that's kind of the same way as well, that we have a lot of stuff in our mental coffers, in our mental file cabinets that's just sitting there because it's useful sometimes. Different from the stuff that you're stuffing that you're hiding, that causes guilt and shame and fear. Although some of the things we buy and collect in the physical world, mm-hmm. we're buying out of guilt, shame, fear, lack of self-esteem, It will it make me happy? Right. So I, I think you're right at that there is a direct link be, between our physical stuff and our mental stuff, and it works the same way. And the stuff, as we clear out our minds and our houses and our cars and our relationships, ooh, we have stuff in our relationships. We didn't talk about that. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, so, you know, all of that stuff does take a life of its own. And it can become our lives, my life, if I'm not staying awake to it. And I can go pretty far down the rabbit trail of stuff and mentally give over to stuff if I don't have some sort of external bump in the road to say, ooh, see what's happening, look around, be aware. And it, and it, and it is curious, I know... Um, is very true for my mother and on the show Hoarders it, it does talk about this because it's really a it's a fascinating psychological journey to be a hoarder and the the stuff represents security and safety and something positive to the people living within it there's a there's a nurturing component and from the outside looking in it's unfathomable that that could be nurturing or, or, or a safe space. So the person has created 
an odd relationship with safe, with what is safe, because we're so unsafe within. And I think that does apply to me in terms of there's a lot of my external world and mental world that I don't feel safe in. Let me say this a different way. My internal world I don't feel safe in, so I create sort of man-made or Leslie-made scenarios in my head and in my external that I think this keeps me safe. When it's really an avoidance of being able to just know I'm safe being safe. Did you follow that? But it's really an I did. Yes. Mm-hmm. And of course, the question that begs to be begs. answered at this point uh-huh. is, and what spiritual truth <laughs> would be appropriate for replacing that false belief and fear mm-hmm. with with God with that spiritual foundation that would allow you to know as you ended that I am safe simply because I am. I have life and I am safe, you know. Because, um, I mean, because our show is Say Yes to Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, okay, if I'm getting my safety from things of the world, even unhealthy things. Sadly. Right. Mm-hmm. Then if that's where I am getting my sense of safety and security, um, what would it look like or what would be different if I were getting my safety and security, my sense of safety and security from spirit? You know, that's a really, I mean, right now topic for me, and it's interesting I should give credit where I got that it's safe. I need to learn that it's safe to be safe because I was having a conversation with my nephew last night and he is, I sent out an email to different people about this national tapping. Did you just say this week was this international tapping seminar and they had a free webinar every day on tapping, which is a, I don't even know how to describe it, but if you haven't heard of it, Google it. It's a really interesting way to to, um, release emotional, physical mental pain, and my nephew said he was watching one of the Louise Hay seminars, and that she said that what we need to begin with is understand that it's safe to be safe. And he was really interesting to say that that was a good step for him, because people are always saying, you're safe, you're safe now, as a trauma survivor or a sexual abuse survivor, he and I share that journey of not feeling safe, so people are always saying it's safe now, the abuser's not here now, and we can intellectually see that. And he said, but this is really kind of a step before that, to be able to recognize it's safe to be safe. And I think there's a lot of stuff that I have created over time to try to create a safety, but in many ways that's just kept me further away from being safe. And so... You know, the stuff, instead of just sitting down and being safe, I throw all this stuff, mental stuff, physical stuff, all these sort of blocks to, because if I ever stop and just sit, you know, then the the trigger would be that I'll be abused again. And so to be able to stop that, that train and say, no, it's safe to be safe is really an interesting um, concept. And I think the stuff keeps me from slowing down long enough to be able to rest in, like you're saying, the the divine truth that there is only God. Because that kind of cuts it all to the core, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And what what also interests me about this is so often we are not consciously you know, we don't consciously say, oh, I need these things to feel safe. Right. It's not a conscious choice. We might say, you know, I need these, I need three new pairs of shoes so I feel good or I feel, you know. But really, it, it could be about, you know, creating, oh, the more I buy, you know, the retail therapy, 
Right. Uh, the more clothes or shoes I buy, then, you know, I, I, I like myself more. I feel prosperous, mm-hmm. but it's because when I don't feel prosperous, I don't feel safe or right. I don't feel loved or I don't feel... So we do a lot of things and we're not consciously thinking that we're doing them to create safety or security. Mm-hmm. But in effect, if we started peeling away the layers, you know, I think uh, there are, there's a whole generation. I think every generation has this happening in different ways. But there is a whole generation um, of, and your mother would probably be in this generation, of people who either, you know, were young, who were young or young adults during the Depression oh, or yes. right after. Right, yes. And who did not have yes, and um, and I know this was true for my mother as well. Who my mother's a little bit old, quite a bit older than your mother is, but you know, growing up, not having having to stand in the ration yes. lines, right. um, and you know, and just then growing up or as an adult, becoming an adult, feeling like I've got to stretch everything and I have to keep everything because I never know. Right. You know, if we have another depression, you know, then we could make do with this. Or we need these newspapers because we might need to put them in our shoes, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. we can't afford to get them fixed. And so then you end up with, you know, 10 eight-foot stacks of newspapers, you know, and uh, or this is history, you know, and we better hold on to it. And so I think, you know, that can happen in any generation or with anyone, especially who has experienced um, poverty. Any kind of poverty, yes. Or just, you know, in our day and age, we have young people who they don't experience poverty, not true poverty, but they don't get everything they want, and so they think they, you know, have to hold on to anything they get, and they're not really at the poverty level. But we have such an entitlement society now that, you know, if I don't have the the Air Jordans or the Nike, you know, X Y Z or this this um, electronic equipment, then I'm deprived, and the stuff then becomes, you know, a, a sense of you know, identity in a exactly. in a strange way. Exactly. So it's it's actually a little scary for me to think about. Um, you know, I have a goddaughter and she's 18 now, and to think about you know this is her day and age because all of the generational research basically says over and over again that the each generation is pretty much defined by what world what the world was like when that group was between the ages of 12 and 21 so you know what world events happened and what was the economy like or you know were there you know was it a world war going on and what was and i think about you know this generation of teens and young adults now and what they've been exposed to and Really, it's going to be, you know, I wish I would still be alive 75 years from now to see them, you know, when they are, well, even 50 years from now, when to see them when they are in their 40s and 50s and, you know, and really see how they turned out. <laughs> you know, what? what's the neuroses of this generation? Because every generation has its own, you know, neuroses. And how, you know, for me, growing up with the Vietnam War and the Civil Rights Movement, and, you know, I can see patterns with people who are in their 50s and 60s. So even the stuff happening in our external world affects us. You know, this word stuff is, is used quite a bit for a lot of different things, actually, now that we're kind of diving into it. We kind of casually use stuff. We do in our society. To, to use it. And, you know, um, even like stuff, what I said a minute ago, stuff in relationships. It kind of, there becomes a, 
a playing out in in terms of how I respond and react to other people. You know, I bring in my stuff to the situation and the circumstances in my life, unless I'm, again, conscious of it. You have a book in your hand, though. Is there something we could read about stuff? Has someone written something about stuff? Is there stuff on stuff? Um, <laughs> no, this is about being safe. Oh, I like that even better. Read that to me, Tracy. I need and that. Not need, and not needing stuff. To and not needing safe. stuff to be safe. Through spiritual discernment, we see that we have within us mm. a power which is greater than anything we shall ever contact a power that can overcome every obstacle in our experience and set us safe, satisfied, and at peace, healed and prosperous in a new life and a new in a new light and a new life. If God be for us, who can be against us? Did it say set S E T set us in a safe place? You can set us safe, satisfied and at peace. And, and who wrote that? Ernest Holmes. Uh, Ernest Holmes. In the Science of Mind textbook. That, yeah, I just like pulled pulled out the book because that come that whole idea of am I safe because of my stuff, and or can I choose to be consciously aware that I am safe because I am grounded in the power and the presence of spirit. And so if, and it is interesting, I mean, I again, with the physical, physical things, I am very, I have lost or sold things along the way that have been really valuable to me, emotionally or or otherwise. And, um, and yeah, so I've had that experience of oh, I can miss something that I've had, mm-hmm. but I'm fine without it. Um, and mostly that's been because I was releasing it by my own choice. But I have had a few things that were really very valuable that I lost either in a burglary. Oh wow! My, you know, someone broke into my home. Or um, I've had a, two experiences where I was traveling and lost, you know, two different times a very valuable piece of jewelry. And um, and both, you know, valuable in dollars, but valuable in what it meant, like, you know, who gave it to me or, right. you know, what it meant to me. And so I, I'm pretty confident when I say if, you know, if my house burnt up, there mm-hmm. was a fire and everything was wiped out or whatever, or someone broke in my house and, you know, I came back and the house was empty, that, yes, I would be sad, but it wouldn't be my sense of self-esteem. It wouldn't take away that core sense of right. well-being. right. And the safety would be, you know, in that case, that you could go away and then your house could burn up or, you know, something could happen. Um, that might make me not feel safe or someone broke in. That Definitely when that happened in my past, I didn't feel safe right. for quite a while. But it wasn't that my safety was tied up in the item. In the external. Right. In the, right, you know, in the possession. Um, but I wonder about linking that to, you know, my brain. Mental. Right. Stuff. All the things that I believe and value, if they were challenged um, and I had to, you know, really change some of those things or let go of some of those beliefs, that's a little bit... I guess the ones that you were mostly talking about, the things that are negative for us, the mental baggage we carry around all the time, that stuff, yes. And I I do think that there's a shedding, so to speak, of layers. I can think of when I have 
shifted my spiritual understanding of the truth. Yes. And there is kind of a a rocky time when I'm not certain of what I believe. Yeah. And that lends to a sense of being unsafe. And then, you know, again, going to that next level of knowing what I know or understanding what I think I understand, how the divine exists. You know, there's a certain safety in that, in in having a a strong core belief system. But I think somehow the mental stuff just seems to, it, it has a lot of power in my world that if I don't um if I'm not, if I don't stay aware of it then the stuff you know, the, the going back to connecting the dots, the stuff the stuff gains almost the power to control me versus me letting spirit come and play. Mm-hmm. Well and even though um I, we may have said it when we were offline uh, about how it's not like the four kingdoms of consciousness really, mm. but in this way there's an overlap. When we release, when we when we just when we go on automatic or go into default, and we're not consciously choosing and directing what we do and how we do it, being guided by spirit, then, you know, the driver of the carriage is off running on habit, on fear, fear, on ego, on um really mostly old patterns that are right. that are there. And um, you know, just driving around the track. Yes. That it knows. And in that sense, you know, if it what it knows is to be the victim, right? Then it's going to run your life and constantly bring you into situations where what it looks like to you is you are the victim. Yes, and it's comfortable even if you're complaining about it. And so when we connect in by saying yes to spirit, and we are conscious and intentional about that then we are making a different choice. We we are putting ourselves in kingdom two or kingdom three. And the stuff by which we let control our mind, is it a spiritual stuff? Is it ego stuff? You know, that's the the defin that's the determinant of my experience, you know, which it's all probably stuff because I have a real negative frame for stuff now. See, suddenly there's no good stuff. So I have to somehow imagine me going black and white, dramatic one direction or the other. So now we have to acknowledge that stuff can be good. Yes, my stuff, stuff can be good. <laughs> yeah, that was good, Tracy. I I used good <laughs> there you go, Tracy. Work it, work it. <laughs> Um, but uh, yes, so stuff uh, by definition is not good or bad. Right, stuff is neutral. Now stuff it's is what neutral. we make it. What I give it, uh, or why we have it. Mm, right. Why do we have it? You know, and that is so very true because stuff, the exact same stuff in one person's world can be completely healthy, and another person's world can be completely unhealthy. So right. It really right. Is and that works whether it's physical stuff or mental stuff. Yes, yes, so, yes. So yeah, even though I was very quick to say my stuff is healthy. <laughs> you go, Trace. I know that I have stuff that's not healthy. So, you know, I I have a lot of stuff that's really healthy for me. But, yeah, the good thing is, for the most part, I know what the unhealthy stuff yes, is. Yes, the awareness. And every time now and then I look at it and go, mm, yeah, but sorry, there not it ready is. to let it go. Right, there, there it is. is. That's really not healthy. Sooner or later you're going to have to deal with that. But not today. <laughs> not today. Not today. Not this month. Maybe not this year. But, oh, yeah, at some point I'll be ready for that. I won't make it any worse, 
but it's not controlling me. It's like I can observe it yes. and see it, and I don't get engaged with it. Right. But I don't move it out either. Right. And I, I mean, and there's you know some mental stuff with that and some physical stuff. And the engagement is what gives it power. Yeah. So the engagement in the um, in the sort of uh, feeling like uh, like it has like it has power. I think I fall victim. There you go. There's a good word to that. To the idea that this stuff has power, and it really does not. But boy, it can sure feel like it sometimes for me. And being reminded that the only power is spirit power. So I don't know if I talked about this last time or not. So if you did, I'll tell you. Well, if I did, we're just gonna. I think have I remember. It. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Um, so I was listening to the guy Finley. I remember you saying something Finley. Okay, uh-huh. so I, mean, I probably, but it just came up for me again. Um, because this this idea of engaging in the stuff right. versus observing it, noticing it, and ultimately putting some distance between you and it. Yes. Um, it just, this quote is still very present for me. And, and he said that there is no life independent of dark form. There is no life, life. L-I-F-E, okay, L-I-F. That is completely independent of dark forms. And the the quote is that I love so much is, life is dark forms being transmuted by light into new forms. And so when we say yes to spirit, we are bringing the light to whatever darkness is there, whatever is hiding in the dark, whatever is you know, is coming from the dark. And when we say yes to spirit, we bring that light to it, and that's what transforms it into something that is useful or meaningful or transforms it into something that we realize we no longer need and we can release it. Right. And move it out of our life or out of our mind. And that that I did you did say that last week, and I have thought a lot about that in terms of you know the dark night of the soul. We talked a little bit about that based on that, and the idea that I think playing out avoiding the stuff is not the thing, or trying to um, hide the stuff, but moving towards and going through and being not defined. But that is an interesting quote, and I I would. It's funny when you said it last week, I thought, well, that can't possibly be true. But the more I thought about it, it is really a deep truth that that, it, that that's just part of the process. Yeah, and that our life and our growth and our life unfolds with that process over and over, over, and, and, over, over and over again. That anything we do and grow from is like that. So we, we've got about ten minutes. So here's an idea. Every time she says that, I think it's going to be like some sort of random challenge for me. Go ahead. No, I it just the I this idea of of all of our stuff. Yes. All of our physical stuff and mental stuff. All of our mental stuff. Thinking about people who are either pioneers or people who are in a mass migration. So thinking about in the United States the movement to, you know, go west and and create the United States of America. Literally. Literally, okay. when there was nothing. Yeah, literally, physically. 1700s. People in stagecoaches. Yes, okay, I'm with you. And wooden wheels going over the prairie, you know, in, in, up the mountains, or, you know, even slavery, people being moved away from everything that they know right. with nothing. Nothing. Yeah, not literally. even, we, you know, we often say with the clothes on your back. Not, not even the clothes, right. you know, being moved to someplace they don't know in a system, in a society they don't know. 
And, you know, people, the human race, has survived lots of migration and change and movement without all their stuff. People in the Holocaust, you know, Jewish people who survived the Holocaust and then, you know, moved to other parts of the world. All kinds of examples. Yes. Right? They didn't have their stuff. I was just say, does this have a happy ending? Because I'm sort of slightly getting depressed. Okay, go ahead. They didn't no, have their no, stuff. No, I'm just thinking we think we have to have so much stuff. Yes. But they, they survived. Yes. yes. They created lives. And yes. for me, what that triggers is, so what is most important is the stuff that's in my head. My mental That's what we're left stuff. with, ultimately, yes. And that's the Maya Angelou, I know why the cage bird sings. I mean, if we ultimately get down to a kind of a purity of what is, it's when we're stripped of everything we have. I haven't spoken of the women at the Dallas County Jail, which I always speak of, but they certainly will voice that in various ways over time there. You know, at different times, different women will get word that their house or their apartment's been foreclosed on or taken away and all their clothes are gone or their uh, cars are impounded and, you know, they'll at any given time there's two or three things like that going on and so women are forced to deal with, oh, my stuff isn't going to be there when I get out. So mm-hmm. I hit that street with pretty much nothing. And there does become a cycle. This woman said something really interesting the other week. She she said, I have been here long enough that I have been forced into acceptance of whatever happens. And it's almost by the design of not having control for such a period of time, she had nothing to do but get to acceptance. And so it was really kind of an interesting thing that, you know, at some point, it, it, there will be no, there will be a, come a point where there's nothing to do but accept if you're in that sort of jail experience. It was really an interesting thing. I have, you know, I've been here so long, I've had no, you know, I have no choice but to accept. And I do think acceptance of the stuff, somebody said that, I I think Eckhart Tolle, didn't he talk a lot about, you know, it's acceptance of what is that then gives any kind of hope for shifting. Yes. Yes, and Guy Finley talks about that as well in in the same talk that that quote came from, that, you know, you accept that what is, you accept that dark form, you accept that right. cancer diagnosis, you accept what seems unacceptable, yes. knowing that there are no mistakes in God, and so I am the light. I I bring light to that scenario, that situation, and I know that, you know, good must come of it, or I know that I will be okay no matter what happens. And so I'm not fighting it. And I think I heard Eckhart Tolle actually say that accepting doesn't mean affirming it exactly. or believing it. No, it, it, it is. is. Which is interesting because I think of accepting as believing but that's, he was very clear, accepting is not believing. No, it is, well, and in, in, from a spiritual perspective, a lot of times what we talk about is non-resistance. Yes. And that, the way that Eckhart Tolle talks about acceptance, the word that I've used is non-resistance. I don't need to resist this. I don't need to fight it. I, it, it is. That is, it is in physical form, what is happening right now or, you know, in this month or this year. It is. Now, I get to choose. I don't get to choose whether it exists or not. I get to choose how I bring spirit to it. Right. Or how I bring spirit through me as I engage. That's what I get to choose. I don't get to choose a lot of what happens. But I do get to choose how I interpret it, how I react to it, and what I do as a result of it. And maybe on some level, getting through my stuff, 
you know, there's an acceptance to it that then opens up a pathway of change instead of trying to block it or not accept it. Well, yeah, because at that point, when you're blocking it or not accepting it, you really are giving it more power. Power. There right? you go. Uh-huh. Yeah. So if we look at the mental side of that from a therapy point of view, that's why it takes so much to dig up, you know, to pull off the layers and dig up what's really under there because yeah. I've given it so much power. I've told myself the story about why I need to do a certain thing a certain way to protect myself for so long. Right that I just have made it stronger and stronger and stronger. And so, yeah, when I'm like, okay, that happened, or that that's happening, now what am I going to do? I'm consciously choosing. I, I, it doesn't have any power. I have the power. Right. Because it is, it's where I place my conscious thought that I give the power and in and it's very um you know that whole big mind and little big t- big m and little m mind that seems to kind of take a life of its own many times, yes, so the idea of stuff isn't necessarily bad, Tracy you know that's a, I've been enlightened because I always think stuff is bad, stuff is bad, stuff can be good. Stuff can be good. Stuff can be good. And it's safe is safe to be safe. I like the idea of safe. Have we ever done a topic, a show on safe? I don't know. Now, see, that could be. See, we uh safe. The idea of being safe, regardless of what stuff is happening or stuff is in my mind, I can be safe. That's really kind of an interesting concept. And safe is a four-letter word. Now, there's interesting. That's an interesting thing, too. I don't know why I get stuck on that. But I really thought stuff was a four-letter word. That, <laughs> that double that's S. because you thought stuff was too bad. <laughs> you know, a lot of shows that start with the letter S. Oh, you can. That's exciting. You can scroll by the uh, letter yeah, of the but beginning. But we have never done a show on safe. Wow. Safety, because it would be right there between sacred contracts and say yes to spirit. Now, isn't that interesting? Well, there you go. Food for thought to have a show on safe. Safety. Is there a spiritual practice to get rid of all my stuff, Tracy? What would be that? Do you want to, you know, save me the thousands of dollars in therapy and make sure I don't have to suffer anymore? Suffer. Have we done a show on suffering? The spiritual (laughs) practice is to simply say yes. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Say yes to spirit over and over. However you can. Over. Yeah. So um, I think that just about does it for stuff. Stuff. And that does go to show that you can pretty much take any kind of topic and make it about a spiritual an awareness, and a remembering. Yes, because there is no spot where God is not, and there is nothing that has ever been created <laughs> there she goes. that is outside. <laughs> Step into it. Uh, purview of spirit. So uh, we'll be back in a few days, a week, and we hope that you will join us either live or by recording. And remember, you can always scan the archives for other topics that we have talked about and said yes to spirit about in the past. But not about safe. Can't find that one. Can't find safe yet. yet. There you go. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. And until we connect again, say, say yes, yes to spirit. spirit.
Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.